The scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the noon moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule for the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with the honey from the rock I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're, we're looking at Psalm 81 uh, this evening, and or this morning, depending on when you listen to this, but, uh, and it's, it's a psalm that describes the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which may sound a little obtuse or strange to your ears, uh, but it's the Feast of, uh, basically if you want a, a modern translation, it's the Feast of Tents, Tents. And so uh, this is what it is, is uh, if you're an Israelite, uh, in the seventh month you go out and you bring all your camping gear, right? Your little tents, your, uh, your supplies, uh, fire stuff, firewood. And you basically go camping, you bring your instruments, and what you're doing is you're remembering a time when, uh, oh, there was a time, those, those, those years that we used to live in the wilderness, but we don't live in the wilderness now, but God has commanded uh, once a year for us to get all our camping gear and go out into uh, a, wil- a curated wilderness, set up our tents, play camp, and then um, sing, dance, have lots of music, and remember, oh, oh, yeah, there was a time when we used to live in the wilderness. Uh, and in fact, this is one of the big ho- holidays for the Hebrews, um, like our Christmas, Easter, 4th of July. And, and it's, it's one of the biggies. It's a feast day, a holy day. And why is this a biggie? Why is it an important one? Uh, why is wilderness camping so important to make a holiday out of it? So this is where we're going. Um, uh, Tonight, uh, from Psalm 81, I I want us to look at how life is a wilderness, okay? Um, But in the wilderness, um, we have a rock. And you'll say, a rock? And I will say, yes, we have a rock in the wilderness. And then I want to say, but also the rock has honey in it. And then, fourthly, I want to talk about getting wilderness tested, 
getting wilderness tested. So let's take a look at um, how life is a wilderness. Uh, so I said in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, uh, what would happen is you get your camping gear set up. And I don't know if you caught it there in Psalm 81, but uh, at full moon, the shofar blasts. So this is midnight. The party begins at midnight or at least at night when there's a full moon. And you hear this blast, and what David is describing is um, this scene back to wilderness. Now, uh, I'm not saying it was like Coachella, but I would say it's closer to Burning Man than you are probably comfortable with, okay? Uh, It's camping. It's not the Marriott. It's not the Hilton. It's not the NBC Suites. Uh, It's definitely camping. And so David, in Psalm 81, he says, he marks out some things. He says, every year, what we want to do is we want to mark out a couple ideas there in the wilderness, is that you'll have to remember that when you're in the wilderness, um, God was very, very faithful, and you really screwed up the wilderness. You did not pass the wilderness test. In fact, there was a pile of things that you mess up in your wilderness, and then God is faithful. And I want you to remember that every single year. Okay. Why? You know the first thing we run into in the New Testament? Gospel of Mark? That voice crying in the wilderness. It's John. It's John. The the first thing that Jesus does after the dove, the spirit comes on Jesus. You know what he does? He goes, it's time to go to the wilderness now. The book of Hebrews, and especially if you read this, I'm not going to do it tonight, but if you, especially if you read chapters three and four in Hebrews, it describes how the writer of Hebrews thinks that all of life from birth to to when you are put six feet under, he describes that, did you know that it's pretty much, life is pretty much like a wilderness. The writer of Hebrews says this. Um, and, And so the scriptures want us to maybe feel the weight of understanding like, oh, the four score and 10 that Jesus gives us, you know, everyone's like, okay, 40. Let's say we get 80, 90 years, right? If we get that, I want you to think that all of it, metaphorically, you are in a wilderness. Um, Ten minutes from my college campus, there was a place called Pocket Wilderness. And so, ten-minute drive, you could go park your car, dirt dirt roads right off the, and you could head back and hike back into um, what they called Pocket Wilderness, and it had its little trail, and there was a beautiful creek and massive boulders, and you're like, how did they get there? And then, and then you keep on hiking back to a really lush waterfall, and it's really beautiful, and you're like, this is amazing out here in this wilderness, and it's just green, and whoa, it's great, and I can make it back for lunch, no problem. Um, so (laughs) that's not what the Bible envisions (laughs) when it envisions wilderness is not pocket wilderness. (laughs) It envisions, uh, something more like, uh, Joshua tree, except not the cool parts of Joshua tree, the parts of Joshua tree where there's very little, 
Uh, it envisions, the Bible envisions a desert as a place where uh, it couldn't support human life. Yes, maybe a little rat, some rats, maybe a strange desert fox or something, but, but nothing that would support human life. Like you couldn't grow anything there. You couldn't catch enough things. You couldn't get enough rainwater. to Like it wouldn't support human life. That's how the scriptures envision uh, desert. I, I read, a, or not read, I watched a strange TED talk this past week about um, the, the title of the TED Talk is, you got to look this up, it says, we are not going to Mars, <laughs> which is strange for a TED Talk because usually it's like, human possibility. <laughs> uh, and this TED Talk was just like, why would we think we could terraform a completely dead planet when we are killing this planet right now? Like, what makes us think we're going to make all sorts of beautiful life on Mars? So, um, uh, where was I going to? Oh yeah, Mars is like a wilderness. It cannot support human life. I don't even know my own illustrations. Uh, but the desert, the scripture envisions the desert as a place that does not support human life. And the Bible relentlessly says that, hey, you're in a, de- you're in a wilderness. You're in a wilderness. Um, why, why, does, why, why do the scriptures do this? Why? Uh, why did it, it, why does it always seem like it's always heading toward this downward trend with the scriptures? It's telling you this. It's telling me this. Look, life around you cannot support your deepest cravings and desires and longings. All of this around you, it, it can't give it to you. That's what the scriptures are saying. It's like, look, life is a desert. Life is a desert. Life is a wilderness. Because it's not going to give you what you really, really long for. The things you look to are going to go away. They're going to fizzle. They're going to disappear. Your health and your money and your career and your relationships and your comfort and your experience, they're going to fizzle. They're going to disappear. And when they disappear, a lot of us have been there. And what do we say? Um, whoa. Did, did God bail? Where's God? He's either mean or he's not present. It's God's fault. God is bad. Maybe, maybe no God. Maybe. See, that, it's like, that's what we say when we... When all of the, the health, the career, the wealth, the, when, when some of that gets poked at, we're like, well, I, I just don't know. All right, this is what's happening underneath when I do that and you do that. We're thinking if I did have those things that got poked a little bit, then I'd be happy, I'd be whole, I'd be copacetic. Like God would have done his job. He would have been a waiter and a, a personal court jester and a personal assistant and he would have shuffled all of those things in the right place and then, and then I would have known that he is really present. I'm like, I, that's how I know he's present. And the Bible does this. Oh, come on. This is reality, people. You are living in a wilderness. Buddy, sweetie, dear thing, you are in a wilderness. And do you know why the world is... Because everything you're chasing after won't satisfy your deepest longings. 
come on. The scriptures are saying, look, you know you won't find your rest and peace there. And, and for those of you who have lived a little bit, including myself, is we have tried, right? We've actually tried chasing those other things to a, a radical extent. And we're like, oh, they didn't satisfy my deepest longings. I don't know why. Maybe I just need more of it. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, before fourth grade, I lived in Minnesota. So every summer we would go to uh, Star Lake in Minnesota. And this is the beautiful thing about Star Lake is that uh, Minnesota is a land of 10,000 lakes. That's what it says on the license plate, right? So um, there was a cabin and there was the caretaker's house and it, we were the only cabin on this entire lake. And it wasn't a pond, it was an actual lake. It can only happen in Minnesota or thereabouts. Uh, and so what we would do is we would fish a lot. My dad would uh, uh, take us out on this metal little rowboat thing and we'd go fish. And uh, this is, let me, let me give you the arc of the fish at Star Lake every summer in Minnesota. Um, we would get these bluegill or perch. They're called like panfish. And so we'd be out either in the morning or evening, and we would come back with just a stringer full, a stringer, like like 20-something, 30 fish. Just like there were plenty of fish there. So um, just a couple hours later, we would, you know, we'd gut them and clean them, and just a couple hours later, the, the fish would be hot and crispy, beer batter, beautiful fish. Um, just a couple hours after that, they had cooled a little bit, maybe not as crispy and crunchety. Uh, and then we would put the fish in the refrigerator, the leftovers, right? And then uh, the next morning we would re- reheat some fish and, you know, that's why you are barred from reheating fish in your workplace's break room microwave, right? Everyone's like, ah who, re- who microwaved the fish? Um, so, you know, and then a few days later, uh, the fish has gone funny. Not bad, just funny. And then uh, the fish goes bad, and you throw it away, and then the fish gets smelly. Uh, and then over the week, what we had done is all the guts we had taken from the fish, we'd put it in this bag and we'd put it on top of the shed so the bears wouldn't get it. And, uh, and it was a game of the kids to run by that shed and be like, oh, that smells horrible. And you know, run away, just like get the smell of death, I guess. <laughs> Look, we couldn't afford Disneyland, okay? Um, uh, and then the fish becomes actually dangerously diseased. And then uh, it gets buried, and it starts decomposing, and then the fish disintegrates, and then the fish turns into dust and dirt, and then we catch more fish. We catch more fish. I can supply some encouragement for you this evening. The fish are a great picture of your future. That's your family. That's that amazing person you discovered. That's your marriage. It's every person. It's your career. It's like everything you've... Why? 
uh, the world can't give you what you need apart from him. This world can't deliver it. And you're always going to be mad at somebody or going to be sad about something. You will. Because you have this assumption is maybe this, the world will satisfy my heart. Maybe, maybe this time it's going to satisfy all of my deepest longings. And it won't. You think, oh, maybe if I can just rid myself of all the inconveniences and all the stresses and find some comfort and just get away from it all and all those, like, and it will give you that magical, satisfying rest and peace. And I'm just telling you, it can't because you are in a wilderness and I am in a wilderness and the world around us cannot satisfy it. I'm not going to beat a dead horse or a dead fish as it were. But you are in a wilderness and the scriptures tell us I'm in a wilderness. We are in a wilderness together over the course of our life. So, um, but good news here, we have a rock in the wilderness. All right, that's the next one. And you're like, a rock, great. And I say, yes, we have a rock in the wilderness. Um, so the psalmist says in Psalm 81 twice, is that um, at least twice, we th- uh, that the Israelites were rescued by a rock. Now, many commentators say, we actually don't think it was twice. We actually think it was many times. Um, the fire by night, the cloud by day, split the rocks at least twice from what we get in the text. And, and at the end of Moses' life, and this is at the end of Deuteronomy now, Moses pens a song. And in the song, he says this, God is the rock. God is the rock. He, for he was our rock. Moses writes, the rock, he was the rock that we took refuge in. And then Moses says, can all the other gods rescue you? No. Even though life is a wilderness, in the wilderness, there is a rock. That's what Moses tells us. All right. (laughs) You may not like this, similar to something earlier I said, um, but listen patiently to this one. Uh, the wilderness is where you most often will meet God. I'm not saying um, the wilderness is there just so that you get through it, so you stiffen your spine or your upper lip. Or I think a lot of us just wait for the circumstances to change, wait for the emotions to dull a little bit, Or we're just going to say, hey, time heals all. I just got to wait long enough until this just kind of dissipates. And I want to tell you is that you will miss that uh, the wilderness is where you most often find God. Moses found God in the wilderness, burning bush. Uh, Elijah... I get this. Elijah heard the still small voice when he was discouraged and depressed and exhausted. Right? Mark tells us Jesus went to the wilderness to pray. Hagar met God in the wilderness. Jacob met God in the wilderness. Like, I'll probably 
beat, beat the dead fish some more. Like, I wish I had something different for you. I, I promise. I wish I had tips to medevac yourself out of the wilderness at Joshua Tree. Here is a, is a sat phone. Just call this. We will get you out in less than an hour. I wish I had tips that you could... I, I, I wish I could give you tips to like medicate, how to medicate yourself in the wilderness so that you dodge most of its experience. <laughs> well, I know how to do that, and so do you. <laughs> I don't have to give you tips. I wish I had tips to like, all right, here, this is it. In less than 30 days, you're going to hike out of the wilderness. Like, follow here, here, and here, and then this will fix that, and ta-da, you are out of the wilderness. Um, no, I don't have that, but I, I have this, that there's a rock in the wilderness, and you have to be brought to the rock. Um, you know, a lot of us, and this is maybe, I don't want to project my experience onto you, but like, um, I, I thought like if you did the program, the, the Christian program, if you, um, if you believe and you pray and you attend and you learn dutifully and you, and you do the Christian program um, and you're conscientious and you try hard, um, like that will somehow help with the wilderness thing, but no. Most of the time, like, you never meet the rock. And I, I I'll tell you this is you can meet the rock when all other helpers have fled. Like I'll tell you, God is just a, a theoretical constructed possibility in your head unless you meet him in the wilderness. Now, this might frighten you, but let's go back to point one. You're already in the wilderness. <laughs> so you don't have to be frightened of the wilderness. Uh, this uh, this last Monday, Melissa and I were on our patio talking to uh, a great young woman, and um, she was rehashing um, some of her deep, deep wilderness pain. And uh, she did meet the rock. Not Dwayne, the rock. And, and, and there was this painful reality to her that she was saying, she was like, people weren't jerks to me. They just disappeared. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've met, I don't think I've ever met someone with those deep realizations who hasn't um, had a radical wilderness experience. I don't, I don't think so. The rock that is there when all other helpers flee, when all the lights go out, and when all the waters dry up, and there's a rock in the wilderness. That's what the scriptures tell us. Yeah, you're in the wilderness, but there is a rock in the wilderness, and you can meet God there. Okay, point three. Also, the rock has honey in it, but only if you do certain things. Uh, the rock isn't just for survival. I think that's what we say. Like, okay, he'll just get me through. Psalm 81.16. It's the last verse of David's psalm. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. David is saying this. There's more to the rock 
than being your bug out bag for the wilderness. There's more there. Um, one of my family's uh, favorite parks that we've been to is in uh, the northwest part of Texas. There is not much in the northwest part of Texas. I'm not saying it's Joshua Tree, but I'm also not saying that's not Joshua Tree. <laughs> if there's anybody. Yeah, there's someone from Texas. I, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> but Waco Tanks is this place that you drive up onto, and it's been a lot of planes or uh, tumbleweed. And then you come upon Waco Tanks, and it's these rocks these rocks that come out of nowhere. So you go to this place and you realize, oh, this is a place where a lot of stagecoaches would stop and come to. And, and yes, there is water there and there's greenery there and there's shade there. So, so um, a rock in the desert could definitely be this. During the day, shade, intense sun. Yes, good. At night, a little bit of radiated warmth because nothing else absorbs it like it should. So that's great. Um, there's rainwater in the rock. Great. Just like Waco tanks. That's why the stagecoaches stop there. Um, all the things for survival. But the psalmist is saying this. Great. All the survival stuff. Great. But you can find love, joy, and sweetness, and beauty at the rock too. Right? Not just enough spiritual steroids so that you get through, you know, you can hold on when you're hanging by your fingernails from the cliff of life, just like, okay, just I just need that spiritual shot and I can get through this and then we'll go back to regular life. The psalmist says I'll, he will bring more than that. All right. This is hard because this does not mean that all your individual problems they themselves will turn out peachy. I actually think that's a false thing that we can extract from Scripture. But what it does mean, yes, you're going to think Romans 28, is that all of those things will be woven into something that is better. And your individual thing may not get better. Uh, so, so this, we don't run around this as this like... Um, Oh, you have cancer. All things are going to work out together for our good. Like, you don't do that. You recognize that it is a horror. Like, what does Jesus do when he, he comes and, and Lazarus is dead? He goes, well, you all know what's happened 10 minutes from now, right? <laughs> Me, him, whoop. No, he weeps. Why? Because it's messed up, not the way it's supposed to be. So we shouldn't run around saying, hey, look, God's just using this as an opportunity. Praise the Lord. He's doing something. Like, whoa. You might, we might want to do like in John 13 where it says, hey, right now, when Jesus talks to Peter, he goes, right now, you don't know what I am doing. But later you will. Maybe when we sit with people and we say, I have no idea what God is doing and this stings and hurts. Um, 
But the psalmist says, you know, out of the wilderness, this rock can make... Maybe, maybe this. What if the rock makes you sweeter? Less your, your things that you want right and more you. Like, what if you're made sweeter and then that sweetness can be given to other people? You know, um, the people I've met that are the nastiest and the judgiest and the meanest and the gossipiest and the least forgiving, um, they're either... A, they haven't been in the wilderness yet or they were and they didn't meet the rock. Um, example, you know this last year, we should maintain that it was a gray year and an ugly year in many, many ways. We recognize the circumstances, the Hundreds of thousands of people that died? Like, are, are, I, it still doesn't compute here. But you know what? Uh, the times I prayed with people in our community have been some of the sweetest times I've prayed with someone. Like, there's a depth and a care and a realization that was not there before. Why is that? There is a sweetness that comes from the rock, not just survival water. Um, Now, how do we get that? In verse 7, there's a sort of conditional test and work to get there. Uh, He he mentions, you know, you were tested at the waters of Meribah, And then the phrase is, if you would do these things, if you would listen, if you would do these things, then these sweetnesses would roll forth from it, right? So so let's look at them. Um, And and I'm not going to even unpack them. I'm just going to say them. Um, If you would regularly schedule joy. Well, wait, wait, what? Um, That's like another way to say, hey, if you would worship together. If you would rejoice on schedule, to use another speaker's phrase. Now, most of us are this. I'm like this too. Um, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like it. Yeah, I'm not there. I am not feeling the the praise. (laughs) And yet the psalmist says, no, you can regularly schedule joy. Um. most of us, maybe not, we didn't feel it, but then we, we sang a song, Oh, worship the king, a glorious above, gratefully praise his power and his love. Right? Music especially has that, has that, uh, that ability to gently pull your heart and nudge it towards joy. I mean, my son will, will play guitar in the living room and I'll just plop down on the couch and I'm just, and my heart changes a little bit. He's not even singing. It's just, he's plucking. I'm just like, this is good. 
I, t- I told him, uh, uh, you know, you know, King Saul, when his heart was troubled, David would play the the heart the lyre for him, and then Saul, uh, Saul would calm down. And he said, "So you're Saul?" <laughs> yes, yes. In that illustration, um, you can regularly schedule joy, and everyone's like, "I don't know about that. That just seems so ritualistic and routine." And I don't. Well, you do. Um, did you know that you regu- regularly schedule joy in your game nights, in your movie nights, in your date nights, in your takeout nights? Um, <laughs> you regularly schedule joy in birthdays. You regularly schedule joy in your anniversary. You, you do this already. But you can regularly schedule joy in a spiritual sense as well. Okay, that's the first one. Second one is meditation. We talked about this last week. Slowing down to listen to God's word louder than your own heart. Next point, didn't unpack it. All right? Third, we had that last week. Um, And the third one is um, you could get this sweetness if you went hunting in the wilderness. So what do we hunt in the wilderness? Um, Well, it's this. He says it in Psalm 81. You shouldn't have strange gods, foreign gods. You shouldn't, you should, idols, right? So why is that especially important when you're in the wilderness? Because you know what you do and I do is I will chase after anything that I think that will take care of my wilderness. And that's a strange God. That's a foreign God. Right? That's why he says that. Because there are things that we've assumed that will just make our life better apart from the rock. And it's disordered loves. Good things made ultimate. Um, So I want to give you two barriers. This is a bigger sermon, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, Two barriers here is when you're in the wilderness, don't think that all of the wilderness is because of your idols. So that's one channel other channel, and I want you to stay in between, is um, don't think none of the wilderness is because of your idols, (laughs) right? So between those two, run between those and don't hit those uh, polar opposites. All right, so what's the condition? If you do those things, if you regularly schedule joy, and if you meditate on God's word, and if you go hunting for idols, guess what? You're going to get this sweetness. You will pass the wilderness test. You will get all of this sweetness and honey from the rock and plus the survival kit, everything. Um, all right, so is this the end of the sermon where I say, okay, great. So um, you guys, I'm gonna pray now and then we go home and you guys should try hard at these things. Amen. And we split for the parking lot. Would some of you be happy with that? That would be a horrible sermon. Horrible all right, because you have a problem and I have a problem when I hear this when, with me yapping up here. Why? It's because you know and I know that we don't pass that test. We don't pass that test. <laughs> this is sweetness. Jesus passed the test. He goes into the wilderness 40 days, passes everything. All of the surrounding things promised him that would give him life and satisfy all his deepest longings passes the test and says, no. Now, we could look at today and say, well, bully for Jesus. Great example. That doesn't help me. Wow, that's great. Good on him. Yeah, he he was really strong out there. But as an example, 
you and I have failed and we failed the wilderness test. So you're like, okay, great. Jesus passed the test. Doesn't help me. Um, And you're right. It doesn't help you. But this is what I'm going to tell you. And Psalm 81 tells us is he's not just an example. He's your substitute. He's not just your example. He's your substitute. Okay. Um, why does he say that at the waters of Meribah? Um, he's referencing uh, Exodus uh, 17. And so, so it says in Exodus 17 that the people quarreled with God. Quarreled with God and with Moses. So, so Moses gets very troubled and very mad and very upset. And it's not just because they're complaining at him. He's very, very nervously upset because what, the, what it means in Exodus 17 is they didn't just quarrel with God, is that they actually sued God. And they were like, yeah, we are suing you to be out of this relationship now. And if you want to be out of the relationship now, you don't care about the relationship. And Moses is like, oh, you don't want to do that. Like he's very upset. He's like, whoa, please don't talk like that. Like you don't want to get out of relationship with the most high. Like, please, I've seen how he rolls and please don't do that. He's very, very upset set. They are so not passing the wilderness test. And Moses is very scared uh, because why is he scared? God says, all right, um, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to take the rod that you used at the Nile. And I want you to go to the rock of Horeb. And Moses is like, this is not helping. He wants me to be the rod. Why, why is Moses scared? Because what he's going to do is get all the people to the rock of Horeb. This is what Moses is saying. And I have this rod that means justice, the justice of God. And then God's going to have me do something and whoo, a smighty fortress. So it's not like that. All right. So the people of Israel, they're not just failing the wills the wilderness test, they have um, left school, they've graffitied on the walls, they've keyed the principal's car, they've chopped down the trees in the middle of the quad. That was my senior year's prank. Whoa, the law got involved. They're not just failing the wilderness test, they're like, let's just make it really, really bad. So God says this, I'm going to stand by you at the rock of Horeb. And then I want you to strike the rock. So Moses, I do not like this. Okay. Strike. I don't know, but I think Moses must have been absolutely stunned. Not that there was water coming out. That's great. He must have been stunned at, okay, they totally failed the test and they got water. See, Paul gets it in 1 Corinthians 10. Oh, he gets it. He says this, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. See, when Jesus goes into the wilderness, um, he passes. We go into the wilderness and we fail. And since he's our substitute in our example, um, 
since he's our substitute and not just our example, God treats Jesus as if he failed in the wilderness and he treats you as if you succeeded in the wilderness because of that rock. It means that, look, it means that you and I don't have to be afraid of the wilderness anymore because we get him. Failure after failure after failure. We have the rock and the rock is Christ. And the wilderness will not destroy you. It will not get you. But you'll go deeper into the rock where there is sweetness, not just survival. Let's pray into that. Jesus, um, you are our rock. Not just an example that we look look at, but you are my substitute. You are our substitute. You You are not just an example, though you are. But you are our every, you are the accomplisher of everything that we have longed and tried to do but can't. Jesus, you, yes, you save with your great water. But you give beyond that in your sweetness and yourself. Give it to us by your spirit, we pray. Amen.